Hi there, and welcome to Live from the Cyber Institute. In this podcast, we listen in on conversations taking place among ministers, church leaders, and scholars as we engage the issues facing Christians and church leaders today. We hope that this episode is thought-provoking and a blessing to you, because as with everything we do in the Cyber Institute, our mission is to equip church leaders and help churches thrive. After you listen, make sure to follow our podcast so that you get all the latest episodes from your podcast platform of choice. Let's get started. Well, welcome to this episode of Live from the Cyber Institute. My name is David Knipe, and I am the Associate Director of the Cyber Institute, and I am very excited to be sitting down today with uh, Carson Reed, our Executive Director. Uh, Carson, uh, I said you're Executive Director, but that's only one of the many hats you wear around these parts. Would you mind just uh, telling for folks who don't know some of the different roles that you have and the ways that you serve uh, here at ACU and in the College of Biblical Studies? Well, happy to do that, David. It's, first of all, just a pleasure to sit down and have this conversation with you. Um, Yeah, so uh, not only Am I involved with the Cyber Institute, uh, which is, as you and perhaps our reader, our vis- listeners know, we're very involved in a lot, a lot of different ways of engaging with congregations and church leaders across the country. Um, and in that work, I'm very involved with a lot of consulting engagements with congregations across the country. So nearly every week, I get the opportunity to be in a, some church somewhere either working on questions of transition, looking for a new minister, or working on questions around vision and direction and what's next for a congregation. Um, But in addition to that kind of work, I also serve as the Dean of the Graduate School of Theology, which gives me an opportunity to think about and engage in the training and preparation of ministers and Mm -hmm. scholars and persons who serve in the kingdom in a wide variety of ways. And uh, so between both that more academic engagement and then the more practical uh, on the ground engagements with congregations, I get to enjoy a lot of uh, a lot of crossover and a lot of uh, overlap between those two worlds. So every day's got something fun in it. I would imagine. Well, and and, uh, they really do dovetail together in a lot of ways. You're working with. Uh, churches and ministers who are already doing it. Uh, you're serving folks, ministers maybe who are thinking about retirement, but you're also helping train uh, the next generation of ministers who are coming up. Um, and that actually is part of uh, kind of the main reason I wanted us to be able to sit down together today is uh, just thinking about some of the different ways that in the Cyber Institute we see challenges that churches are having in finding ministers uh, that have these open positions. You know, you've already been telling us about some of your roles. Um, and, you know, I feel like you have a unique opportunity uh, to connect with churches uh, and church leaders. Uh, one of the things, uh, the services we have in the Cyber Institute is our looking team, where we uh, we are uh, meet together a couple times a month to talk about churches that are looking and ministers that are looking uh, to see if we can uh, find ways to maybe suggest folks to one another. Uh, I mean, my guess is between looking team and consulting and I mean, all of that, you're, you're probably talking to at least dozens of churches every month in different ways. I mean, would you say that's a fair assessment? I, I think that's that's right. Uh, just as we were getting set up here, I was responding to a, an email from someone saying, can you talk today? Mm-hmm. Can you? So I'm going to work in a conversation with a minister yet this afternoon before, yeah. uh, between other appointments. Yeah. So uh, 
Yes, and it's not just me, of course. It's a team of us that sure. are engaging in that in so many ways. So I would think over the course of a year, we're literally influencing and connecting with hundreds of churches right. across North America. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the kind of uh, maybe the more direct link to the conversation today, it's actually something that comes from several months ago. Uh, last year, uh, you wrote a piece for our Mosaic blog called Ministers in Short Supply. Uh, that showed up on our Mosaic blog. It also was the featured article in our monthly newsletter in May. And the way it turned out was it was by far the most viewed page uh, on Mosaic over the past 12 months. It got more than 2,500 clicks, more than 2,000 unique page views, and it got more comments um, than any of the other posts that we'd had uh, in Mosaic recently, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, what that says to me as somebody that kind of manages that blog is that uh, you struck a chord, I mean, very clearly. Um, the topic was pretty simple, even if the problem wasn't. Uh, and the topic was just the challenges that churches are facing in finding candidates for ministry positions. Um, before we get more into the content of the piece, uh, why do you think that essay got so much attention? What, 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 what core did that strike, do you feel like? Well, I, ministers are an important part of a congregation and congregation's life. And um, I think both ministers who are feeling the pressures of uh, the work that they do, mm -hmm. as well as church leaders, elder groups, or others who are in positions of, of hiring ministers are finding that to be a, a keen and uh, a challenging thing to do. Is to, uh, so the, the subject matter itself is sort of <laughs> driving people to say, uh, I've experienced some of this. I recently led a, a session about uh, this broader topic at an elder link event mm -hmm. a couple of months ago in Dallas. Yep. And the folks who came to that, uh, when I asked for a raise of hands, everybody in the room, uh, this topic was playing itself out in some way in their, uh, in their environment. If they were coming as an elder, it was because they've experienced the difficulty of finding someone. Uh, I also had some ministers in the room who, later would confess that they're thinking about uh, maybe leaving ministry. Mm. And, of course, you and I have had conversations with plenty of ministers who are in that kind of framework sure. of mind as well. So it's a, it's a live topic because it reflects the reality that many churches are facing yeah. in this time and space. Yeah, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. And we'll, we'll talk more about that here in a minute. Um, so in your piece, uh, you identified four main factors that you saw, at least at that time, this is May of 22, uh, playing a part in, you know, whatever we want to call this, a shortage, a challenge, a deficiency. Uh, and I want to kind of take them, th those four in, in two pairs, if I can. Um, the first pair are things that have to do with current situations right now. Um, you said, first of all, that uh, there are just a lot of challenges in ministry that are creating exhaustion uh, among ministers. Uh, and then secondly, you said uh, a lot of times, unfortunately, churches will often distance their ministers from important leadership decisions. Uh, you know, when they're looking for a minister, they want somebody that's uh, well-trained, somebody that's theologically sensitive. But then once they get them in, uh, it's almost like the leaders in the church, maybe the elder group, uh, they want to be the ones to make the leadership decisions and they just kind of want the minister to, to do some of the tasks. Uh, when you hear that now, almost a year later, uh, how do you react to that? Does that still seem uh, appropriate? Are there ways that you would maybe nuance that, or some new things that you would add there? Yeah, David, that's uh, those are 
the things you're naming, I, I still see them playing themselves out yeah. in various ways. That I think coming off of COVID, mm-hmm. what happened? Well, what happened with COVID was sort of a a disclosure, a revealing of where there were problems and issues and challenges that are implicit uh, within uh, many congregations. Uh, And uh, with that came increased pressure on leaders, Mm -hmm. uh, whether you're a minister or an elder or uh, other key figure in a congregation, there was pressure that was there. And with ministers, I think that became particularly germane. So if memory serves, it's been a while since I really, really looked at that piece. I think I said something like, if there are three or 400 people in your church, then you've got three or 400 bosses. Mm. That reality is a real one for, for ministers. There's just, everybody's got an idea about how you ought to do your job. It's like being a high school football coach in Texas, right? Everybody's got an opinion about how things went last Friday night. Mm -hmm. And, Ministers live with that. But in some ways, that, I think, has become hyperinflated in our environment. And uh, political pressures, social pressures sure. only exacerbate that for, for ministers. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I think. You know, just if the pandemic hit spring of 20, well, then that summer there was some uh, social unrest, especially around race relations. Yes. You know, not new, but just the latest chapter and a long story. Then, of course, that fall, we had an election. By that point, churches are starting to think about, do we come back? And, you know, I hear this when I talk with worship ministers that, you know, okay, we, we figured out how to do streaming, but now, you know, who's our primary audience? Is it the congregation that's back in the building or is it the members who are still staying at home? How do we, how do we do a both and? And um, you're right. I mean, there's already pressures. We've got new things coming up and it can really reveal some fault lines. Right, and so these things that we're discussing now sort of are social social dynamics mm-hmm. that uh, are exacerbated in some ways. I think that in many of our churches, there then are some systemic uh, structural realities that are playing themselves out. Um, and I think that's what I was hinting with the second of the two things you mentioned a moment ago, David. So uh, particularly in churches of Christ, uh, we really don't know quite what to do with ministers with regard to a, a leadership system. Mm. There are historical reasons for that uh, that, that we probably don't. We really don't have time to go into uh, today. But uh, what uh, what emerges from that is sort of a knee jerk tendency for leadership systems and churches to rely wholly on an elder group and. Uh, and ministers can often be kind of pushed to the edges with regard to decision-making and decision-making processes. Mm-hmm. In healthy, robust churches, there is a welcome to bring the, the minister into that decision-making process and to develop some sort of uh, constructive relationship between the minister and the elder group. But all too often, particularly in times of crisis, so note back to our conversation mm-hmm. about the pandemic, yep. Uh, elder groups can kind of close the circle and exclude the minister from decision-making yeah. processes. Sociologically, when we will think about this, what we see is that uh, often by the time ministers get to be 45 or 50 and they become about the peer age of elders, mm-hmm. uh, uh, elders then sometimes see the minister rather than as uh, someone who brings a lot of gifts to the table 
there can be an implicit threat because mm. the minister is a peer age-wise yeah. and has education and experience that sort of transcends the education and experience that the elder group may have mm -hmm. and the minister can be perceived as a threat. And so that creates a particular set of pressures on a collegial relationship between the minister and the elders. And that gets itself played out. Sure. And, and all too often ministers by the time they hit 50 are often so frustrated they they are often leaving our churches yeah i mean that's gonna that's gonna diminish your motivation so many people get into ministry because they want they want to make change they want to they want to help yes and if they feel like uh you know whether it's intentional or unintentional or conscious or unconscious on the part of the elder group if the ministers feel like they're being sidelined that's not going to help them be motivated to continue to really want to do that work and do the work that ostensibly they've been asked to come and do. Sure. Yeah. Well, the other two pieces that you mentioned uh, in your essay are more along the lines of uh, people entering into ministry. Uh, you said, uh, number one, uh, there are fewer students majoring in ministry at our different schools, uh, but that part of that may be because churches are failing or struggling to cultivate that call into ministry for young people. Uh, along with that, you named uh, the diminishing hope that working in ministry can yield a living wage. Uh, you know, coming off the 2008 recession, um, folks, middle class folks, especially, you know, feeling job pressures, maybe there's less ability to uh, make tithes and offerings. And then, of course, uh, in the wake of the pandemic with layoffs, so many churches are uh, dealing with budget challenges, whether they're cutting positions or combining positions or not able to give raises. And now in 2023, we're dealing with a lot of inflation. And so uh, that seems like that's not something that's probably going away anytime soon. But so what, what do you think you know, we can do here? Fewer students uh, majoring in ministry, but also struggling to feel confident that this is going to be something that is viable economically. Yeah, those things are still, they were true in May 22 when I mm -hmm. wrote this. There's nothing that indicates that these have shifted in yeah. the what, ensuing 10 or 11 months now. We are seeing fewer people come into mm -hmm. both undergraduate programs to major in ministry, and of course, in a space that I said, in graduate theological education in a seminary kind of context, that's uh, still a, a reality there. Mm -hmm. I guess one of the things I would say about that is that um, it reflects the fact that we're probably not seeing the encouragement of people to go into ministry mm -hmm. that may have been the case a generation or two ago. Mm -hmm. And that raises some things we may want to talk about uh, a little later t today. Um, uh, it, it creates, it's creating a crisis for institutions that have, that are doing theological work. Yeah. Uh, where do students come from in all of that? It, it also reflects growing concern that many churches are having because they're growing smaller and it becomes harder for them to provide mm -hmm. a living wage. Um, uh, for persons who are going uh, into ministry. So all of those factors are playing themselves out, and there's a wide array of social uh, uh, social factors around both of those points that yeah. I think are just a, a part of the landscape that we're living in now. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, one thing I, I appreciated about your essay, besides the way that you diagnose some of the challenges, is you didn't just leave us in that problem, but you recommended some solutions. Um, you named there uh, some things that you called healthy signs that will make a difference. Uh, things that you see in some churches 
uh, whether it's churches that are partnering with theological schools to train and develop the next generation of ministers, uh, or churches that are creatively using a bivocational ministry setup, uh, churches that are working to value their ministers' wisdom and leadership gifts, uh, churches that are working to compensate ministers appropriately, uh, and ways that we can help ministers avoid burnout uh, by creating boundaries for the ministers and or opportunities for renewal. Uh, and I found myself encouraged by those things because I think they're, they're helping the outcomes, but they also reflect a little bit of a different attitude toward ministers than I think maybe we've had in the past. Um, we kind of mentioned this before, but, you know, for so long, we're, we're a very practical people in our fellowship, and we've tended to think of ministers as the doers. You know, they're the evangelist, they're the preacher. Their job is to go do the tasks of ministry. Um, we hire them, we want them to do a job, and then when we feel like their effectiveness is waning, uh, we will let them go. But what you're describing seems to think of ministers more like human beings. They're more fully persons. They're not just the things that they do. Uh, they have things to contribute beyond just a sermon. Uh, and it also, to my mind, connects ministry more with our churches uh, because you're thinking not of the church just as a workplace uh, that hires and fires, but maybe more like a greenhouse. It's a place that we can nurture and cultivate ministers for the future, whether that's young people in our youth groups or adults who are exhibiting ministry gifts that might be open to a career change. Um, I'm wondering, you know, when you hear that kind of coming back to you, does that match with the things that you're seeing out there? Do you feel like churches are treating ministers differently or does that maybe vary from place to place? Well, I think it does vary from place to place. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and sometimes I've, I've not done a study on this, but anecdotally in my my, just out of my experience, I would say, generally speaking, that when you find a church that is uh, doing well or thriving, then you're going to find elder and minister relationships strong and thriving. Uh, when you find churches that are in decline, mm -hmm. uh, then you may, you may find the minister being treated in more of a transactional sort of way, mm -hmm. right? Uh, or we're maybe not paying attention or taking care of the minister in very constructive ways. So it's not uncommon. I've had a couple of these calls in the last month from a leadership team from a, a church saying, we're trying to find a way to take good care of our minister. Can we have a conversation with you? Mm -hmm. So I'm pointing them to the Cyber Institute's minister salary survey, which uh, is an annual thing, that, as you know, David, that we do in the Institute and that you're, you're involved with, uh, and talking about ways in which we take good care of ministers, both financially and interpersonally. Uh, I also find good conversations going on about the partnerships between minister and elder, how together mm -hmm. a church's leadership team becomes so much stronger. And so those are very encouraging conversations and signs when I see those in play. And I see churches being more responsive um, to uh, finding ways to creatively attend to that shortage. Um, we've begun some, some pilot projects, both in the Institute, kind of grow your own minister mm -hmm. kind of things, or within the Graduate School of Theology here of developing scholarship programs that allow for the minister uh, or prospective minister at a church and 
the seminary, the Graduate School of Theology in our case, to partner together to financially come up with a plan to help form and train mm -hmm. persons for ministry. So those are all very, uh, very positive signs. And uh, we just need to see that those kinds of things flourish or grow. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'd love, love to hear a little bit more about that idea of growing your own minister. You know, we, we've already mentioned several things uh, that are part of the Cyber Institute's work. And, and we see these these tensions uh, that you're describing in all sorts of ways, whether it's comments that people make on our Mosaic blog or the conversations we have in the Looking Team. Um, but, you know, in some ways, I almost feel like what we're describing is that uh, comes out of the history that we've had where there have been a lot of ministers kind of out on the market for the last uh, several decades. Um, we've almost come to a place of luxury where when we're looking for a new minister, well, we just assume... Well, there's somebody out there. It's just a matter of finding them. Um, and that's, you know, looking across human cultures, that's not really the way people have tended to be raised up into work, into trades um, for, for it's hard to say all of human history, but just that long tradition of apprenticeship. Um, you know, we assume Jesus was a carpenter because his dad was a carpenter. Uh, and it seems like that's a model that we could really uh, do a lot with if we think about apprenticing ministers, finding those people, whether, again, they're young, maybe they're mid-career, uh, and finding ways to grow our own by thinking in that sort of master-student or teacher-and-apprentice kind of model. Um, and that might be more structural with some GST resources. It might be more kind of local in the church. But I'd just be curious to hear you say a little bit more about what you've been thinking as, as that's been percolating around in your mind and in the conversations. Of course, yes. And it's one of those things where there's not a simple uh, cookie cutter sort of model that we could just throw sure. out there and say, huh, just, you know, like a getting a cake mix off of a grocery yeah. store sh sh shelf. That, we can't uh, just send a packet and say, follow steps one through five. And boom, yeah. you have a minister. Yep. Uh, however, there are, and you're hinting at those, it's, uh, there are certain principles that are in play. Mm -hmm. One is uh, one is paying attention to who God is calling. Yeah. In our, there's a theological conviction here that we've yeah. got to start with. That God will raise up people to do God's work, mm -hmm. uh, but leaders have got to pay attention to that. So yeah. who is it among us that God might be blessing or raising up among us? Uh, it's about relationships and developing relationships. Uh, ways of apprenticing or mentoring. We can come up with different language for this. Um, we've got to, we've got to find those things um, and, and live those things out. Mm -hmm. um, we need to find ways then of preparing and training them. And that's where uh, organizations like the Cyber Institute or the Graduate School of Theology uh, come to be a part of that. How do we, how do those institutions or walk alongside a church and then creating some sort of way of, of continuing to encourage and bless and structure the work of a minister and, and uh, in a congregation. So uh, one of the things we've been talking about in the Cyber Institute and we begin to practice a little in some places is to help walk alongside a church and uh, help them attend to those those kinds of mm -hmm. practices. And in the Graduate School of Theology, we're developing um, some pilot projects with regard to scholarshiping, working with churches to attend to that. 
And even, David, you've been a part of some of these conversations as well of how do we create some curriculum that would be well-suited for persons who are not traditional, uh, go-off-to-seminary kind of persons. Um, and so there's a wide array of work that's going on, I think, in the GST and in the Cyber Institute to serve well in this kind of space. And I'd want to say to our listeners, uh, if you've got some curiosity, then let, talk to us. Yeah. Let's find a way to, to work together to raise up the people, to, to, to uh, form the people that God is raising up yeah. in our churches. Now, and this is exciting to me because, I mean, that, that's honestly part of my story and how I got into ministry. I mean, I was, in college, I was not a Bible major, but I was volunteering with our church youth group. And I had some folks at church start to say, have you ever thought about going into ministry? That's it. And the first couple of times, the answer in my mind was nope. Um, but then as more folks start saying things, you know, and especially when the older women at church start encouraging, you, you got to listen yep. to the wise older yep. women. That's right. Uh, and, and that was kind of what got me going down that road. Um, well, let me, let me ask you one more question as we come door to close here. So let's say that you've got some listeners right now who are, they're hooked, they're excited, they're interested in this idea. What do you think are maybe one or two action items that churches can put into place right now uh, as they're thinking about ministry in sort of the short to medium term? You know, whether or not they've got an open position right now, they can see this problem in their midst or on the horizon. What are one or two things that you'd encourage them to do starting today? Right. Well, several things go flowing through my head real quick yeah. out of that, David. So uh, though I am reminded of the of the, I think it's a Chinese proverb that says the best time to plant a tree was 40 years ago. Right, right. The second best time is today. Mm -hmm. So there is some of that going on in all of this. Um, one is that if you've got a good minister, love on them mm. and take care of them and uh, honor them. Um, so just just take care of the, the folks that God's already put in your midst. Yeah. The second thing would be to encourage your your, the children and the youth of your church to consider ministry mm -hmm. and recognize that that getting an education to do work like ministry will not necessarily have a great monetary reward, but it is a path, a way of being in the world that has great meaning. Yeah. And uh, But it would be helpful for churches to say to a junior or senior in high school, if you go and study ministry at a Christian college or university, or you want to go back and study at seminary, we'll help you financially do that. Mm -hmm. Let's minimize the barriers that get in the way of persons choosing uh, a career in, in ministry. So that's a second thing that uh, I think that uh, churches could do. And if I were to throw in a, a third, it would be to look in in your congregation, if you find adults who are showing interest in theology or ministry or who are actively engaged in ministry, mm -hmm. volunteering with the youth group or working with the children's ministry or curious about pastoral care, then foster that and encourage it. Yeah. Send them off to a conference or send them to GST to take a course mm -hmm. and learn more. Uh, uh, Fan that flame of interest yeah. Uh, because uh, who knows but what God is raising folk up uh, right in front of us. And our task may be simply to encourage those by taking those kinds of steps. So those are a few yeah. things that come to mind. No, I like that. You know, and you mentioned the, the sending them off, you know, something like the GST, that, that might be a sending off. 
the going to a conference, maybe it's a come with me. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're a minister on staff and you're already going and you you've got a dedicated volunteer, what if they could take a couple of days off of work and invite them to come along with you to that conference? Just or or let me play this another way, David. I just. I, Examples go flowing through my my brain. But two weeks ago, uh, a couple of us from the Siren Suit were with the church, and uh, uh, the youth minister mm-hmm. had hired a college intern, which is a great way of interning, sure. right? But sh- she had taken another step. She was hiring for the summer high school juniors to serve as junior interns, I think was, I can't remember the term, but she was taking 15 year olds Uh and saying, you're going to be a part of our team and you're going to help work. And I thought there are some prospective ministers in the making as 15 year olds. That's a great idea. It's a wonderful idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously this is something we could continue to talk about and we would love to uh, to our audience, we'd love to be able to uh, talk with you about these things. So as this sparks ideas for you, please don't hesitate uh, to get in touch with us. We would love to meet you at some of our different events and talk with you in different ways. Uh, but first, before we close, Carson, let me just thank you for uh, your time today, for all the work that you do uh, and the, the heart that you have for the kingdom. Uh, it is, uh, it's a joy to be able to work alongside you, but even just to sit down and have this conversation today uh, to talk with folks who love the church and love local churches uh, is a great, great gift. And, and of course, for our fellowship, the local church is the lifeblood. Um, for our audience, I want to point you to uh, some of the resources we've named here. Uh, our Mosaic blog, mosaicsite.org. That's site, S-I-T-E. Uh, you can find uh, Carson's essay as well as all of our uh, blog posts. We tend to come out with a couple uh, every week. Also, the Cybert website, which is Cybert Institute. Uh, I'd love to interact with you there. Uh, and Carson, do you want to offer people the opportunity to connect with you? Is there, what, What's a good way to do that? I don't know if you're on, on Twitter, if you have you know, one of these more newfangled things, or if just a good email address is the best way. Let's just go with a good old email address. Okay. Carson.read, C-A-R-S-O-N dot R-E-E-D at A-C-U dot E-D-U. Okay. Well, folks, don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, We would love to be in conversation with you. Uh, And again, Carson, thanks to you and to our audience. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for listening today to Live from the Cybert Institute. We would love to connect with you on our social media channels, and you can always find all of our various resources at our website, cybertinstitute.org. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and follow this podcast on your platform of choice, then share it with your friends. Until next time, may God bless you in all that you do.